You want to go ahead and talk? <laughs> Say, you're listening to the Word Bros Podcast. No. Do it. No. Do it. <laughs> Say, you're listening to the Word Bros Podcast. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the Word Bros Podcast. The WordBros.com. Even though my life before was tragic. What's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new uh, episode of the Word Bros. This week on the pod, we're going to talk to... Uh, I can't pronounce his last name. I'm not even going to try. Ben Grisanti. Ben Grisanti. Ben Grisanti has a master's degree in comics. Ben Ben Grisanti. Ben Grisanti has a master's degree in comics, and he has a new book out that he's kickstarting right now called Poly... Polybius. Polybius Polybius Dreams. So so we're going to talk to him about his book. Uh, We've got the PDF of it. It looks cool, man. I dig it. Like, it's hitting on a lot of those familiar beats. It's got those 80s, the 80s vibe to it that all you guys should like. That that 80s hoo-boo juju stuff, man. That that, that would be awesome. People are digging that stuff. So this is a a book that's right along those lines. Uh, Ben seems like a nice fella. Uh, We're going to talk to him now. probably because you're in your deep dark cavern of comics you got back there look at all those things it's not a bat cave that's like a more like a, a dr strange library <laughs> it's uh, the the what is it the sanctorum the sanctorum of yeah, comics sanctorum, sanctorum look at them all wow wow did you, do you summon dormammu and he reads comics like with you and you're <laughs> yes. like no and then like i just won't go is that what happens and then he something gives like that yeah. yeah okay and i don't know what it is about this podcast everyone we talk to has a very complicated last name ben how do you pronounce your complicated last name grisanti grisanti all right yeah ben. that's how i say it all right well Are i mean Italian? he did no wait I what no, i didn't hear you are you italian yes yeah, Ben Grisanti. And if you pronounce, and that's how, and if that's how you pronounce your name, that's how we're going to pronounce your name because you would, you would be the expert on your name, where I am a mere novice to it. Well, he would murder your name, is what he said. I was close. <laughs> Bob, Bobby's not hooked on phonics. I'm so. not. Phonics are really difficult. Like I'm, they I, can be. They can be. I yes. was, you know, I don't. Ben, how old are you, buddy? 36. Okay, so you were kind of contemporaries then. In the same yeah. <laughs> Yes. Well, I mean, you're 36, I'm 39, Kevin's 40, yes. right? Yeah, so when we were in school, it wasn't phonics, it was just kind of memorization. Sure, yeah, you, you know? either pick it up or you don't. Yeah, and, and for me, phonics is just like, ooh, like it's just my yeah. brain just doesn't accept it. Because I'm a dumb. So, Ben, you <clears throat> you have a master's degree in comics? Yeah. More or less, yes. No, uh, no, no, more, more or less. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got a degree in media studies. So, uh, I, got a, 
I got a degree in uh, media and cinema studies mm. is what it says on the diploma. But while I was doing that, I was writing a lot about, uh, I was writing a lot about horror movies and a lot of people were either studying movies or television. And it sort of dawned on me via one of my professors there that I could instead use this degree to sort of study comic books. And so once I figured that out, I just studied comic books. Interesting. Uh, now, now what comics did you study? Like what, Comics are learned, astute comics that that you would get in a in in like a college. Like, what were the comics that you studied? Just about anything. There's a lot written about the superhero genre, so I pretty much stuck with the superhero genre when okay. I was working on it because uh, there's a lot of scholarship already, sort of in that in that realm, and that's kind of what I stuck with. I, I was mostly looking at uh, Marvel and DC books, but some of the lesser superhero books, uh, and I wrote. I wrote my master's thesis about the, like the changes in uh, gender dynamics in comics through superhero love interests. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So That's- the idea is that they would, we would start out with these characters who are kind of in marginalized positions as love interests. We like Lois like, Lane, for example. Like Lois Lane, even though Lois is almost a bad example because she was kind of oh. awesome in the Silver Age. You know, she's she's kind of had that, but like character like Pepper Potts, for instance. Okay. He starts out like this, like fawning uh, secretary for Tony Stark, and they sort of negotiate her into a position of power, and that's kind of uh, has implications through the rest of the fan community. After that, interesting. That's a fun topic. Yeah, it sounds fun. It's and it sounds like all you got to do for your uh, master's research was just read a lot of comics. Reading comics. Yeah, that I mean, that's, that's, that sounds pretty rad. Uh, now, did you have a favorite uh, of those comics you were reading? Did there some, Is there anything that would stand out to you that you were like, dude, this is just amazing? Probably Miracle Man. Miracle I think Man. Um, looking at, and this is before Marvel started like recollecting them, so it was kind of difficult to get a hold of them uh, to do that, to do the to do the study in that. But yeah, that came across as really exceptional. Now that's James Robinson, correct? He's the writer on that? Miracle Man is Alan Moore. Alan Moore. Okay. 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 So I was thinking of Marvel Man. No, no. Starman is what you're thinking of. No, no. I know. No. No. What's the book that James Robinson did very young or very early in his career? Starman. 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 It was Starman. Yeah, for DC. Okay. I thought it was Miracle Man. Okay. I'm a total noob. No, like I was wrong about I was wrong about Shaggy and Reggae last time. We're all wrong about something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's hard to know all of your Reggae. I'm just more of a nerd than than you are. That's I guess. I mean, no, yeah. no. I just got nerd totally, street cred. I just totally lost my cred right there. I feel like <laughs> no, you did. I mean, I'm, just, I'm just gonna quit this podcast. You know, this oh, is my, this I'm is gonna be my last episode. Don't, don't quit. Nah, I mean, I still love you. Oh, thanks. So. Um, <laughs> So yeah, that's cool, man. So you just study comics, like that's your thing. And now, and now you chose to write them, correct? Yeah. Well, what I was doing, I was sort of using that position in Chicago. I was studying in Chicago at DePaul University. Oh, that's, a, sort of, that's a fine university, DePaul. I had a great time. But that's anyway, awesome. uh, I was sort of using that position to sort of talk to people at Comic Cons under the pretense of like, hey, I'm writing about comics. Uh, writing about comics for my master's degree, but like trying to get next to people and like talk to talk to like people in the industry, and their pretty much their attitude was like, "Are you really trying to write for comics instead of about comics? Wouldn't you rather do that?" And it's sort of kind of that's kind of where I settled at the end. Okay. Of okay. Right. Well, so, there, who did you day, talk to? What what creators did you talk to that were like, "Hey, don't you want to rather? Wouldn't you rather write comics?" Then? Yeah, uh, I talked to Matt Fraction. I talked okay. to. Uh, I managed to like weasel my way into a Marvel dinner at C2E2 one time. Joe Casada was there and 
um, a couple other people, C.B. Sibolsky, Jason. Wow. A lot of people had like, so it was a lot of people in Marvel that I was talking to a lot, but you tell people that, you tell professionals like in the industry that you're like, I am studying comics in college. They don't always have the best reaction, you know? <laughs> really? <laughs> what was like, oh, you're going to tell me all about my industry now. And it's like, oh, you know, I didn't mean that for that to come off as cocky. Uh, you know, so not everybody had the best reaction to be talking about. I'm sure Fraction was pleasant. He's a very pleasant human being. Yeah, he was. He was pretty good. Yeah, because, uh, like, every time, every time, like, we're at Heroes, well, it's, Bobby was there once, and then every time I've been there since, but Bobby was there with once. And Spit it out, Kevin! I, I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> I was teasing him because he looks like Matt Fraction. So, oh yeah, I don't really. Yeah, I don't. And really. I was like, I was like, I'm gonna go introduce like, <laughs> m- like Matt Fraction, like Earth Two version to Matt Fraction. And like, and I'm, the, I'm the less talented, less rich version of Matt Fraction. <laughs> yeah. If if Matt Fraction's hopes and dreams never worked out, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> that one. You're the byproduct. Of I that? had a very embarrassing geek down with Matt Fraction. It was, it was like one of those like nerd boy moments. Well, what did you guys geek down about? Let's, let's uh, hear. It was when he was getting ready to write the Defenders. Mm. Oh, okay. And I was just kind of like, we were just talking about, I was really excited at the time because Marvel was bringing all these new things into continuity that had been there, well, not new, but they'd been there previously that we hadn't been, they just haven't been in the stories. Like, we don't want to, um, like, Wondergore came up. Uh, and how, like, just I love all the mythology that's in there without getting into too many, too many more specifics about it. There's a lot of stuff that Marvel just kind of ignored for years and years and years that was part of the whole like Marvel Universe that I thought was like really exciting story elements and wouldn't it be fun, hey, to like draw on some of that a little bit more. So that was a lot of fun. And he was he was very supportive. Um, you know, and like I said, it was just it was just a question of like spinning that into figuring out what about what I was studying sort of translates to actually practicing like within the within uh, like within the industry. It was interesting because I was writing primarily about like superheroes and I was getting ready to do when I was doing my uh, superheroes in the fan community and I always try to have like a positive outlook on it because I'm very much a believer in the fan community and I always wanted to put like a positive spin on it even though there are some like, just, like bad elements uh, in there especially associated with like this debate that Marvel's going on it's going on with Marvel like right now and um, so I was getting ready to defend my thesis and I was like waiting uh, in like the hallway outside, like the uh, thesis defense room or whatever, they've got all these like flat screen TVs in the news, and I'm watching the footage from the Aurora shooting. Oh wow! It was, yeah, oh. it was the it was that weekend. It was the Saturday morning that the Dark Knight Rises came out. That's right. So, like, there, I'm like sitting there getting ready to defend my thesis. I'm like wearing all black because I'm an artist. Damn it! And, um, <laughs> And I'm sitting here, like, getting ready to go talk, give this, like, talk about why Batman's awesome, part of it, anyway. And I'm sitting here so watching. Wait, so, wait a minute. So, you're defending your thesis, and it's about yeah. Batman being awesome? Like, Oh, part of it. That's not Okay. Because I can have that conversation with anybody <laughs> in any comic really, shop yeah. anywhere in the world, and they'll just yeah. go, hey, Batman's awesome. Like, But, sure. you, have, but you, you have so much... <laughs> Like of an argument behind that, like There's you have breadth behind his argument. Have, like, it's been a while since I had to defend it. I don't know that I could defend it again here on the show just now. But um, you have like yeah. stacks and stacks of evidence about <laughs> Batman being awesome. About like, about having a very far-reaching fan community. It's just a huge fan community. It just completely transcends comics. Right. So that's I think the that's I think the through line when we're talking about Batman fandom is that it's just like 
it uh, obliterates the comics community. It's just so wide in the culture. Like everybody knows Batman. Yes. I think now it's like, I really very much appreciative of the characters that have like one like obscure character that they always like go for. And then that's, that's their favorite for the longest time. It was spider woman. Yeah. I just thought Marvel spider woman totally underused. Uh-huh. I'm really glad that she started getting like, uh, since the time I was writing about it, she's, um, got her own book back. And there's a lot more going on with the character now. Well, she got a lot of play there. Bendis was running yeah. her out like uh, like nobody's business there for a while. I mean, she That's had a true. book that her and Malie, that him and Malie were doing. That was a mm-hmm. quality book for quite well, some time. That was before the setup in Civil War for her being a yeah. scroll. No, I thought this was after. This was after she Even was after that. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, uh, it was after yeah. that. It was right after the reveal of Secret Invasion and yeah. back to being the original Jessica Drew again. And she went to what was the name of that um, that country in the Marvel universe, that Mar Marhapur or whatever it's called. Mar- yeah, she went to Madripoor. Yeah, she went to Madripoor to look for. Uh, she was like a secret. Yeah, she was. It was like a scroll hunter book. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of a cool idea. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's a pretty good idea. And then I like the way that I like the way that they were using her in New Avengers, and there was a romance that cropped up with Hawkeye. That I thought mm-hmm. it was like really interesting. Obviously, it never lasts. Yeah, but I thought that was a that was an interesting angle. And then uh, and then what? Um, Dennis Hopeless, uh, yeah. she she became pregnant and stuff like that. Which I still haven't read any of that. You think I was a big like Spider Woman fan? I just haven't gotten to it. I've been on actually kind of a hiatus from the big two. I decided not too long ago that there's so many good like indie books, so many great image books small press publishers that I was just going to focus on that. And it's like, and I mean, to be fair, you wrote your thesis about the big two superhero books. So I did decompress a little after that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but horror was always like my go-to thing. So now I just want to concentrate on writing horror. Um, horror for me is like a lot of, like a lot of my horror stories are like play to me as comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of, and that's my favorite thing about horror is that more like evil dead, like campy. Sure. Some of it's campy. Some of it is just like twisted and has like, like those old like Tales from the Crypt, like that kind of like irony that they bring to it. It's like mm-hmm. Twilight Zone and Tales from the Crypt and like that kind of stuff. Under a certain lens, it just kind of plays as comedy. I think right. that's my theory anyway. Uh, so I've got, I've got a couple things that came out that, um, that I self-published on my own. Uh, one was a, uh, just like a short, a short zine story about astronauts that come to earth. They discover that they have contracted like some kind of like flesh eating bacteria. And then by the end of the, hey, when that happens, I know it's such a bummer. But anyway, by the end of, um, by the end of that, like short 20 page zine, they realized that the only reason they were able to survive in space was because they were downloaded into robot bodies and it's not a flash flesh eating bacteria. It's something that needs pollution. And they're actually, their synthetic bodies are getting, you know, written, uh, eaten by this thing that actually saved the planet from all the pollution. That was That's out. interesting. Yeah, that was a fun story, but I would tell that to people and they would be like, so they're like, they're de- decomposing and dying in each other's hands and, you know, they find out they're robots and I would laugh and they'd be like, what's wrong with you? It's, it's, it's so <laughs> well, dark. See, I, it's, very, <laughs> it's very much like a Twilight Zone the episode. Twilight Zone. Exactly. Yeah. They didn't know they were robots. Yeah. That's, like my favorite. That's my favorite sci-fi trope. They yeah. got androids. They don't know they're androids. I'm yeah. there. I'm super yeah. there for that. Well, there's so. I mean, like, <laughs> it's it's hard though with, uh, I guess, horror kind of when you mention tropes like that because the Twilight Zone kind of did everything that you could sure do. Did. 
Yeah, you know, like there, there. You could go back and watch a Twilight episode and go, "Oh, that would be such a great idea for a comic." And go, "Oh, it's like nine people have already done that, and I'm sure a thousand more are sitting on pitches that never got picked up." There's just, I mean, of course, it's yeah. it's, it's wonderful. Like it, it, those kind of stories and those kind of twist endings and those kind of weird slice of life kind of uh, societal views on things still kind of hold up. And the sad part is some of those things that uh, Rod Serling was talking about back in the fifties and sixties are still a problem today, which is kind of a bummer. Yeah. Uh, This is why I watch night gallery. Yeah. Like night gallery kind of pushed that envelope a little bit. TV was getting a little bit more political uh, when night gallery was around and sort of showed in a lot of those episodes, but it's still the same basic ethos kind of runs throughout it. Uh, so there is a subversive aspect to it. I totally, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think there's a subversive aspect to horror in general. Um, and you see you see evidence of that all over the place, the, the massive counterculture. Like if there's a fan, there's a fan movement that uh, rivals that of comic books, it's probably horror movies. And there's obviously a significant amount of crossover when it comes to that. Now Go you're doing a Kickstarter right now for um, right. Uh, it's called uh, Polybius Dreams, right? Is that right? Yep. Polybius Dreams or Polybius Dreams? Um, the, the jury's still out on how you pronounce Polybius, but I think Polybius is probably correct. But Polybius is fine too. I don't know. It, well, it's based <laughs> off of a video game that's an urban yes. myth, correct? It's based on an urban legend, and I this is something I heard about when I was I was in college at the time. It was like <clears> three in the morning. Um, it was very inebriated, and I was just kind of like researching these things online, and I was looking at it. It sort of freaked me out, and I thought that would be a cool thing to do a story of why hasn't anybody done it, and that was, you know, maybe five years before we actually pulled the trigger to get the comic going. Like, wow. Number, yeah, I sit on these things for like a really long time. Part of it is that I didn't want to like, if something else was going to come out, I didn't want to mirror it too closely. Um, and so uh, I eventually I met Keith just doing comic cons uh, in the Buffalo, Southern Ontario area. And he just had like the perfect style for it. He draws these realistic characters. I knew he would get the ages right. Mm-hmm. I knew he would nail that we have like adolescent characters in it and we have younger characters in it. And he would get that perfectly. And he would be good for like the realistic setting that it's supposed to take place in. So uh, it was just, it just happened that he was the right artist. I had the story sitting there and I was like, maybe it's time to revisit this. So that's, the rest is history. That was about a year ago. That was almost, that was, that started uh, August of 2016. Mm-hmm. We were on Kickstarter for the first volume that following March. And we just got that out. And now it's October and we're doing the second volume now. Interesting. Oh. So, so tell me what this book is about then, friend. Uh, the idea is that this, um, there's nothing, this town of Autumn Hill, uh, we changed the setting from Pacific Northwest to New York because it's what I'm familiar with. But uh, this town of Autumn Hill, small town, uh, reasonably isolated. There's not a lot going on there. It's 1986. There's an arcade. So the kids in the town sort of gravitate around the arcade because there's not really a lot else going on. Not going on. Uh, this arcade machine shows up one day, and uh, it's immediately popular right from the get-go. And we see through our characters that playing it is having some sort of effect on their psychology, it's not exactly clear what. Uh, so they start having these nightmares, and that's where we get the title from. It's called Polybius Dreams. And uh, really everything that happens from that point forward just sort of like throws the microcosm of their little community like uh, on its on its end. And uh, it's hard to say too much without giving it away, but it's definitely, it's a mystery. So 
nothing really gets explained, <laughs> you know, yeah. like it's, it's a mystery like throughout, like I know, obviously I know it happens in the end. The whole thing is completely written at this point. Like we know where everything is going, but even knowing where everything's going, we're not over explaining it. We're going to make sure that there's, there's plenty of room for the, the audience to sort of make their own decision as to what exactly happened or what it was all about. In the meantime, it's just like, it's character focus. It's focused on three main characters who are Paul, Patrick and Michael they're the kids that are, uh, you know, they're, they're like best friends and they're bullied in school, but they love the arcade and they're on very good terms with the arcade owners who are our brother and sister, Jimmy and Jamie. And it's really sort of everything through their eyes, like everything that they see. Uh, it's, it's determined really early on that Patrick out of the three boys is much more susceptible to whatever the game is doing than the other two. So we start to see his sort of degradation Interesting. as it goes on. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the, the other two kids, um, Paul and Michael start fighting with each other. One doesn't want to believe it's the, the arcade. The other is just convinced that like everybody's bad and you know, the, these bullies and the other people that are uh, experiencing the ill effect of it sort of are getting what's coming to them. So it just kind of reveals sort of who they are, like what their internal characters are when everything starts to crumble around them interesting now, now this is your second volume of the book so um what other comics have you done everything else i've done like self-published like this is the most like well this is self-published too but this is the most professional thing that i've been associated with like he's a professional artist a professional colorist all the other books i call like get with your friends and make comics Yes, which, I, is, which is good though because I mean you have, you have to have comics. you have to have those steps along the way. You yeah, know? you absolutely have to do it. Like the the longest thing that I did so far was a comic book called Insurance, and the premise of Insurance is that it's uh, an insurance office for magical items and haunted artifacts. So <laughs> you want to get your like haunted painting insured, like you take it to this office. It's a mix between like Office Space and Hellblazer. That's kind of fun. That yeah. Is cool. It's just a cool hook, and um, it was fun enough of a hook that I brought it to uh, my friend Mike, who's a cartoonist. Like he's a doodler, and I was like, "Hey, Mike, this is totally up your alley. It's horror, it's comedy. Why don't we try to make this happen?" And that was sort of how we both like cut our teeth. Like you can see, first couple issues of that, we don't really know what we're doing. But by the time <laughs> you get to the last, by the time you get to the last chapter, which is like five issues total, it, you know we have the rhythm down. Like we know how to structure our panels in a way so that we can actually fit all the words in there. That's, that's crucial when you're figuring it out. That's, so awesome. that's, how we, that's sort of how we learned how to do it. Um, and it's a lot of fun. We've had a great response from the people that have actually picked it up. We sold it mostly local, locally. Now that the whole thing's finished, we'll have it all in one volume. So it's going to be much easier to get from here that's on cool. out. That's cool. That sounds really awesome. Yeah. This is a ton of fun to do. And it's, I mean, I think it's hilarious. I still like look at it. I've forgotten a lot of it since it's been published. So I'll go back and read it every once in a while and like remember writing things. The way I wrote that is that I basically just went over to Mike's house. We hung out in his kitchen and I just like, I had the basic story idea and I would just tell him gags. Like I would just pitch him like jokes. <laughs> and the ones that landed were pretty much what we put in the book. <laughs> so the stuff that he responded to. Um, that's, an, that's an interesting way to write the books like that. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't even get to fit everything we wanted in it, you know, because time is, you guys know, uh, time is, uh, a major constraint when you're telling a story in a comic. Like, it's got to punch right away. Yes. You only have so many number of pages to get to where you need to. Um, and that's more or less how I approach it, how I've approached every story uh, from that point forward, is that I have to get from point A to point B. Here's the number of pages. Here are the plot points I need to hit like, in the meantime, and then kind of work backwards like, from that outline. 
makes sense because yeah, that's must the way. I, read, yeah. Yeah, I like to do it that way too. You know, you have your outline A, B, C, and D, and as long as you get there, as long as you can get there in exactly. twenty-four pages, you're good. You know, cut out anything you don't need. Yeah, you know, focus on just all like the you know, the main points. And in my case is the jokes that you really want to get in there. <laughs> we, we increased our page count a few times just so we could fit extra jokes on. I don't think that's bad. I don't think that's a bad way. Well, no, I mean, especially, I mean, you know what you got to get those jokes in, baby. You do what you got to do, you know? It, exactly. it depends yeah. on, yeah, it depends on like how, how you want to tell the story. So like, that's mm-hmm. actually funny enough. Like when we did Elvis, like we, we did the joke thing like that. We were, mm-hmm. we would throw each other jokes back and forth over text messages. Yeah. You know? And when he would call laughing or I would call laughing at the thing that we just texted each other, we knew that that's one that to be in there. That's cool. I'm into that. So, um, so you got this Kickstarter. What is the Kickstarter launch? Has it launched already? Yeah, it's launched. It's been launched since the third. Uh, the last time I looked at it, we're like, we're really close to it's uh, October 5th right now. I should say. Um, yes, it is October 5th. It launched October 3rd. We're almost halfway. Wow. Wow. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Congratulations. Thanks. Very happy about it. We've had a great response for the people that have got it. Um, a lot of our backers are back from the last time around, which is a ton of fun. Yes. We have people that are close to us and that are close to the project that are very enthusiastic about it. We've got our cheerleaders out there. We've got a few friends that we've made uh, doing the book. that are just really excited about it. And that's obviously you guys, you guys know that's the best. Uh, you know, when you have people that are like uh, close to the project and they're dedicated to it just as much as you are and they're really excited to see where it's going. It's just a great feeling. Well, it looks great, man. Like I really dig the book. It's got a, it's got a very familiar vibe to it. Like you're hitting a lot of the right beats that I think, you know, the arcade, like the the whole idea, like being an eighties kid, I was an eighties kid. I, Mm -hmm. I still remember the name of the arcade I used to go to. It was like spaceport in, you know, Pembroke mall across the pizza place. So you're, you're hitting a lot of those, those beats you're hitting a lot of those kind of kind of yeah, vibes so i mean we, I think- had, we had an aladdin's castle in the wall ah, we had one we had yeah. a, <laughs> right next door to the comic shop that i grew up going to which is still there there was an arcade called westworld which was this that's a good name yeah good name for an arcade right, <laughs> yeah, right? it was so dingy like it was ridiculous <laughs> It was so much fun. Was Yul Brenner running it? Like, was like the ghost of Yul Brenner scene spotted? (laughs) Yeah, that would be great, wouldn't it? (laughs) Just saunters in there one day. And the cool part is like now what is very cool around the major metropolitan areas are like retro arcade bars. I don't know if they have anywhere you are. They have a couple. Like a Dave and Buster's type of thing. No, no, no. I'm talking like. We have, we have a couple in Cincinnati, because uh, that's where I'm out of. It's called uh, 8-Bit Bar, and it's just a bar filled with old arcade games. And, you know, you pay by the hour. Or, like, if you buy drinks and food, you get to play for free. And, like, you can go there. And my wife and I played Rampage for what seemed like an eternity yeah, one night. That's awesome. And it was so much fun. amazing. Like, I forgot how great Rampage was. So it's, I it's, love Rampage. It's Yeah, me yeah. too. It was a great game. It's cool to see a lot of these games coming back and, you know, still on the old arcade kind of console thing it's very fun to do do you play the monkey don't you uh and actually no i don't i play godzilla i play the godzilla guy i, I, I play i play either the werewolf or godzilla so it's yeah. crazy i love giant monkeys too so like, yeah. i'm like why don't i ever play the giant monkey because the godzilla- I remember playing like the old like the home version like i had it for nintendo and then i finally saw it in the arcade I'm like there's a wolf guy in this yeah. yes <laughs> owned. like i had all these i had a lot of great arcade experiences yeah i, I was an only child I had a paper route. I would just roll up all my quarters and go to the arcade and ride my bike <laughs> to the arcade. I found a uh, I found a bowling alley that nobody seemed to know about that had a Mortal Kombat 2 machine. So I'd go there and just wreck 
practice and like nobody was there. That's awesome. There was in my neighborhood, there was an old <laughs> Filipino bakery that had Mortal Kombat in it. And all the kids after school would end up at this old Filipino bakery and just yeah. play Mortal Kombat. It was awesome. I suck at Mortal Kombat. I was never my thing. Oh, I never got very good at yeah. it. I just, I, good at it. it was just, you're just mashing buttons, man. There's no skill yeah. to it. You're just pounding on the I was, I was good at Mortal Kombat. No, there's definitely some skill to it. I've seen some people like tear that game up. Yeah, well, they don't have really well. I was too busy trying to smoke cigarettes and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have time for all that stuff. So your Kickstarter launched on the third. Um, mm. You're doing rather well with it. So what's next, man? After this thing gets funded, hopefully, knock on wood, are you going to pitch this thing around to publishers? Or how's that working out? We've talked to a couple of publishers. Uh, a lot of the publishers that we've talked to would like us a little bit further along since we're new. Yes. You know, I get that. Um, they want to see, like, everybody wants to complete a project at this point when you're talking about like creator owned and self-published sort of works, making the jump to publishers, but there's definitely a good amount of interest. That's I don't want to awesome. say, any, I don't want to say anything right now, but there's a, there's a few that are like really good prospects for us. There's one we're really close to like uh, really just announcing with, like very soon. Wow, that's killer. Um, yeah, it's still too early to say. I have no idea what's gonna, uh, how that's gonna pan out. But and you don't want to say it until it's yeah. official because you don't want to. Until it's official, yeah, yeah. So it'll be the official announcement regarding yeah. that. But it's not. I mean, they're all like smaller publishers. If um, I've always said that, if I would have no problem pitching this book to Image if we can get it financed to the point where it's finished. But um, as far as publishers go, we just like right at this stage, we're just hoping for somebody to get out there and like help promote the book and then we'll be put you in comic shops i mean yeah. get us in comic shops or even just get the kickstarter help get, help us get the kickstarter funded just to like push that push our book out to their social media presence that's huge for us right now yeah. because we still have to get it done you know yeah I mean, we're, um the project is contingent on us getting funded on kickstarter okay so, oh, okay so you, you like if if, if yeah. it doesn't fund you guys have no book so more or less yeah. yeah, if you guys are listening out there and you have a couple bucks to throw at Ed Ben's project, you should do that because that would definitely help him out and make him a happy dude. Yeah. Uh, it'll, make, it'll make Keith happy too. He's the artist. He's getting paid. <laughs> you know, this is paying his salary. We gotta keep, we gotta, we're trying to keep everybody happy here. So that would exactly. be wonderful. Plus you get some cool comics. Yeah, it looks like it, man. This book looks like a lot of fun. I didn't have a chance to read all of it, but the stuff that I did read, I, I enjoyed. Like I said, it hits a lot of those familiar beats. So, I mean, I'm happy for you, man. That's really great. Thanks. Really appreciate it. This, like, I really feel like this came together when we added our colorist to the book. This is actually the first book I've done in color. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And um, we were pushing I rem- to I remember that feeling. It's so weird. <laughs> yeah, it's so bizarre. But, like, we were pitching to a publisher, and they were like, we need a whole creative team in place. So I was like, I found a... I found a colorist that day, and it just so happens I found a really good one. That's awesome. Um, always hire up when you're looking for a colorist. You know, get yeah. the best colorist you can afford. She's really added so much to the story. I can't even imagine doing this book without her. And it was always such a bummer, too, sitting at your black and white table at your cons when people go over and they go, oh, this is black and white. Like, yeah, yeah. motherfucker. But they act like they're walking back into, like, another, like, an old-timey <laughs> place where doctors smoke cigarettes and so do pregnant ladies. And every TV show is a Western. And they're all mad <laughs> right. your books in color. Why isn't it black and white? It's like, because I can't afford a fucking colorist, man. You like black and white. Yeah. I like black and white. Why? I mean, go watch fucking your <laughs> anything because... Yo, Jumbo's in black and white, you dig it? <laughs> yeah, because I'm weird about black and white. Like, I have to really like it. So I'm yeah. really weird about it. I, I won't lie. I'm just going to be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love, I mean, I still read some books that are black and white now. Fuck Man, Lone Wolf, and Cub. Uh, the, all the omnibuses I have are still black and white, man. That's most, uh, most of the manga. Yeah. Most of the, yeah. 
I like the like the older manga that's stark black and white because everything's like gray tones now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you look at like the uh, two of the big, the two major influences on Polybius Dreams are the movie Videodrome, which you can definitely see if you're familiar with Videodrome, <laughs> and the um, that's a great and, movie. Oh, it's a great movie. It's one of my favorites. And the other major influence would be like Charles Burns' Black Hole. Okay. Okay. Like the when Disney that movie. <laughs> no, <laughs> not no, Charles Burns's Black Hole is yeah. the is the graphic novel about the STD going around. Yes, yes. Turns you into a mutant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I haven't read this. This yeah. is weird. I thought he was talking about the Disney movie meets Video Drone, and I was like, no, no, no. Why no, didn't no. I back this already? Because that's yeah. like, yeah. No, Charles Burns's Black Hole is very stark in many it's, ways. It's weird. Like it it's so weird. It's out there. Like yeah. And I found that, like, when it came out, I was, like, a teenager. I was, like, young when I saw that. And it was uh-huh. just the, probably the first, like, underground comic I ever looked at. And it was just un- unreal, man. It had yeah. such a huge effect on me. I just didn't know comic books could tell that kind of, a like, emotionally rich complex. And uh, really just, like, a grounded but psychedelic. It's so, it just just a mix of things coming from that book. Yeah, I read that a couple of years ago as an adult, and I had to go back and read it at least two times just because there's so much depth to it that you just feel like you're missing things. Yeah. So like, and they came out so rarely back in the day. Yeah. Well, see, I had to, I collect, I got the collection at the library. Yeah. Cause I mean, this is like real deal comics. Like this is when you go to a university and study comics, these are one of the mm. ones they give you and say, Hey, you should probably read this. This is like accepted fancy literature, you know? He said a yeah. university. A university. Yeah, what else is at the university? <laughs> at the university studying comics, weren't you, old chap? Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that's a really great idea, man. And like, and so now you're doing it, and it seems like you're doing it with great success. So that's fantastic. Are you going to be? This is going well so far. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm very happy I'm... with all the artists that we have on board. We've had a lot of people that are very passionate about the project. It helps that it's an urban legend. People know. You know, I've uh, been at a couple shows with that, and the people that come up and like pointing and like getting really excited about the book is like oh my god you did a you did a book on polybius i'm like yep yes i did and then the pitch is always like well it's about the characters you know yeah. the characters are, are the unique thing about it that's um, cool and i wouldn't have done this i never would have done this in the first place if we couldn't if we couldn't just like use the urban legend as a way to tell like a character story it's that's it's awesome right I, I think i think the best comics are character stories actually yeah. it has to be character is king like if you don't have good characters like almost nothing else matters yeah because true. nobody cares what happens to them yeah, exactly that's a good yeah, was like i'm right at the end of like a really long novel right now and i just realized like i don't really like these characters so it's, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. it's become difficult for me to finish it like i'm going to eventually but it's like no, I feel I feel like I felt that way about uh, going back to TV, The Sopranos. Like I couldn't get yeah. into The Sopranos because I hated Tony Soprano. Like there was <laughs> there was no one on that show that was likable for me. So I, was like, I liked Polly Walnuts. That's I mean, but you like Polly Walnuts because he was like funny and did stupid things. And, like, Polly did dumb shit. That's yeah, why. I liked but like Polly. as a show and overall, there was like there was nobody really likable. So for well, me, my mom had two brothers. Latch on to. And she's from an Italian family, and Polly Walnuts reminded me of my young, like the younger uncle, like because <laughs> there, there, my mom was the oldest, so her youngest brother was like Polly Walnuts, but like not like him. But it's just really funny because it was like he would do shit like you talked about my mother, so like that was like a big deal <laughs> in that one episode, and I like laughed because I'm like. Yo, my uncle said that shit one time. He's like, he talks shit about our mom. I'm going out there. I'm going to mess him up. And it was crazy, like, talk. I was like, does it matter? You're both grown men. Like, I'm like an eight-year-old kid going, 
I, I don't know what the problem is here. That's why I liked Pauly. I mean, one of my favorite uh, Sopranos arcs was when they threw a sandwich at Vito. You threw a sandwich at Vito. You got to fix this. That was, a, <laughs> that was a big arc on that show. So who fucking knows? But uh, enough about that shit. I am very excited for you. Your Kickstarter. If I want to find your Kickstarter, how would I go about doing that? What do I, what do, how do I go about all this? Uh, just go to www.polybiusdreams.com. It's P-O-L-I-B-I-U-S dreams.com. It'll take you right to the, right to the campaign. You can awesome. Check out are you on the, are you on the Twitter machine and all that I'm stuff Twitter, too? I'm on Twitter at Ben Grisanti, B-E-N-G-R-I-S-A-N-T-I. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Earl Gratz, E-A-R-L-G-R-A-T-Z. That's the main character from the insurance comic. I love it. There I love it. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, ben, thank you for coming on, man. We really appreciate you having on. Good luck with your Kickstarter. Good luck with your book. It looks fantastic. You're really Thanks, hitting guys. a lot of those beats, dude, that I'm, I'm super into. So uh, good luck with that, dude. Thanks and very then, much. I really appreciate it. You know, and also let us know if you get that anything in the future, any news in the future about your um, about your about this project or any others. So. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks, guys, so much. I really appreciate it. Yep. And that was Ben Grisanti. Yes, yes. Grisanti, yes. So it's like Ashanti, the R&B singer, but with a G. Like, yeah, but but he's like Grim. Like Grim, Grim Ashanti. Ben Grisanti. Yes, there you go. Do you remember Ashanti? I don't. I was never a big Ashanti fan. She hung out with Ja Rule, and I wasn't into that. Yeah, I'm not big into Ja Rule. Like, yeah. baby! <laughs> he was like a fake DMX. Yeah, but he was like a, a watered-down DMX. He was yeah. like DMX if DMX lived in the suburbs. Yeah, and, and was sane and didn't get pulled <laughs> over all the time and, like, steal people's cars. But crazy. I like DMX. Oh, yeah, me too. I love DMX, but he's honestly he's nuts. Great. He's yeah, great. He, I was listening to, uh, I love Dan Levitard. Do you ever listen to the Dan Levitard show? It's like a sports show. No, of course not. It's about sports. Yes, but Dan Levitard's show isn't really about sports. Like they kind of drift in and out of sports topics, but they kind do. Kind of like how we do with comics on this show. So to some extent, yes. Yeah. They, they end up talking about all kinds of things. And I guess they were talking about Steven Seagal the other day because I guess, <laughs> I guess what happened is Steven Seagal renounced his American citizenship and and like moved to russia so george foreman the professional boxer with a foreman grill who lost to ali in the rumble in the jungle and all that right. stuff um george foreman challenged steven seagal to a fight oh no for yes. real yes so they were talking about steven seagal and like the host dan lebertard who was a writer for the miami herald for a really long time was looking for weird steven seagal facts and then i guess one of the facts was like dmx thought he sucked and then the Levitard was saying, I would have loved to bid on that movie set because those are two crazy son of a bitches that <laughs> like interact with one another. Like to see the craziness between DMX and Steven. Like Seagal, it's like a crazy, crazy competition. Like who's yes. crazier? Well, I, you want a weird Steven Seagal fact? Steven sure. Seagal, since I work in the beverage industry, now we don't distribute this. Steven Seagal has an energy drink. I know. I heard yeah. that was one of the weird. What's it called? It's called like Steven Seagal's like Kwai Gong or something. And Kwai it's like Gong? Asian. One of the flavors is Asian. Like that's racist as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> like, when you see it, it's like, damn, you're a white dude with your face on it. And the flavor is Asian. Yeah, but he like, does wear a mouse suit. So I guess you can get away with it. If you're wearing a mouse no, suit. No, no. It was bad. <laughs>
like, it was blue and the flavor was Asian. I was like, what flavor is Asian, yo? Steven's kind of messed up. up. It gives you a weird hair piece. And... <laughs> <laughs> I, was, see, I was more, personally speaking, I was more of a Jean-Claude Van Damme guy. Like when that eight, when those two guys were kind of going head to head for like, I was a Jet Li dude. See, I'm talking like he crept in there like later. Yo, he was definitely later, but you had like A was Schwarzenegger. Well, then if I had to pick between three, I pick Schwarzenegger. Well, no, everybody does, but I'm saying like in tiers, like you had Schwarzenegger who was top tier, and then you had Stallone that was like kind of like Like the next level. and then he's a little bit. He's not quite. He's not quite Schwarzenegger, but he'll do. Yeah, and then after that, you had, like, the rest, and Steven... No, you had Chuck Norris, like, after that. Nah, man, I don't... I mean, I'm talking, like, to Terminator? Like, when Terminator 2 came out, there was... Chuck Norris was... Terminator was done by then. Yeah, he wasn't doing shit, because, I mean, like, Delta Force came out in, like, the... Like, what, the beginning of the 80s? Mm. I want to say? Mid, I want to say 86. I want to say 86. That really wasn't hitting on my radar, man. I'm talking about, like, I was watching fucking Bloodsport and Cyborg and all that shit. Yeah, I watched... Cyborg was a crazy movie to watch as a kid, you know? was awesome it was crazy uh yeah i liked cyborg it was one of the jean-claude movies i did like um i'm trying to think of one i didn't like like time cop was that a jean-claude movie? yeah that was a jean- that was a later jean-claude i want to say that was like 93 or something i didn't like that one let me see here jean-claude van damme um let me see. i'm gonna get some of his filmography here you know what I- destroyed his career though right huh jean-claude's career ended when he got his ass kicked by a hell's angel Really? Yes. I was unaware of that. I have to look that up. That's, um, why, that's why there was no more Jean-Claude Van Damme. Time Cop was 94. I thought he no more Jean-Claude Van Damme because he was making terrible movies like well, yes. uh, Double Team. Well, with, that, that's part of it too. Like you can't just- Legionnaire was pretty bad. But no, I mean, like think about it. He had, he had Bloodsport. Bloodsport uh, was great. Cyborg. With Ogre. Kick, Ogre was yes, in it. Yes, yes. Ogre was great in that movie. So, I mean, there are two Oscar winners in that film. <laughs> Seriously, Forrest Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker is great. Forrest Whitaker is in that movie, and he he won an Academy Award for Pete's sakes. Ghost uh, Dog. Ghost yeah, Dogs. Man. That's a great film. That's but great you've movie. got like let's let's run through this list, okay? You've got. Okay. Um, I'm going to start here with Bloodsport, Cyborg, Kickboxer, Lionheart, Death Warrant. I don't remember Death Warrant. So I remember. I remember Death War. All right, Lionheart. Lionheart was the one where, like, he was he abandoned the Legion, the French Legionnaire, and went to America and like got in that fighting tournament to help his brother's wife or something. Okay, okay, yeah, that's that one. I think I remember. the A and the B story for that really don't make sense because, like, he was a Legionnaire. He quit the Legionnaire. He moved, he came to L.A. Um, his brother was in a bunch of trouble with like his brother had died, and then. He ends up fighting in like some underground fighting ring or something. They're like, I I don't understand where the two met there. Just as long as he gets to fight, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then you had Maximum Risk, which I'm not really sure. I, I don't remember that one. Yeah, I mean, no. No. And then what? Uh, uh, double Team was a good one. And then he got his ass kicked by a Hell's Angel. Yeah, right yes. I didn't see. I was look, unaware look, of that. Look, did, you, did you see it? It's up there. I'm no, not joking. I have to look. Yeah, like I'm I'm not even joking. Like you can got, verify that. Like he got beat up by a Hell's Angel in a bar fight. Yes, he got in a bar fight. He he came into the bar and the Hell's Angels like you're not so tough and then he was like, "Well, F you, I'm John Claude." And they got in a fight and John Claude did not win and there was too many people around and like that invalidated his action movie star status. So Really? Yeah, I'm not joking. Huh. That's what really 
put him in the tanks like because the news got out real fast because this is like 94 is about the time when AOL was like huge and stuff. It, it looks like it was a guy named Chuck Zito that's the guy that beat his ass yeah Chuck Zito was an American actor amateur boxer martial artist celebrity bodyguard former boxing trainer and a member of the New York's Hells Angels yeah see um let's see here I'm trying to see uh does it give you any more information about it? I just knew it was a Hell's Angel. I didn't know anything else. It looks like that this guy, like there's a rumor going around that Van, Van Damme KO'd in a topless bar by Mickey Rourke's ex-bodyguard, I guess is the story. <laughs> in 1998, I guess this guy was Mickey Rourke's bodyguard. Words, here's the story from 1998. We're really breaking hot news on this podcast. <laughs> Words spread quickly through Manhattan about a Wednesday night celebrity barroom brawl involving action star Jean-Claude Van Damme and a former bodyguard for a not-much action star Mickey Rourke. I guess they were, <laughs> they were at scores. And I guess um, Chuck Zito said he's a very arrogant and disrespectful person. Um, da 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 da. And I guess he beat him up. Oh wow! Yeah. Wow, yeah. he just beat him up for being arrogant and disrespectful. I guess they got into a fight. That's what happens sometimes. He just kicked his ass. Hey, hang on. <laughs> you can still. That's. I think that's a little harsh because I mean, you can be a tough dude and still lose a fight. I mean, Muhammad yeah. Ali. Muhammad Ali lost fights. I mean, yeah, I'm not, I'm not doubting that. I'm just saying the funniest part about it is like, <laughs> like, do you think it was something like they're having beers and he's like, "You're Jean Claude Van Damme." He's like, "Yeah, here, I'll, I'll get, I'll get to it in the story. I'll continue reading the story." I'm badass. And then um, he's like, "Nah, man, double team sucked, bro." Uh, like, trouble started when Van Dam walked into scores with Rourke. Zito walked over to the table to shoot the breeze with his former bosses. When Vito and Rourke turned their backs on Van Dam, the Street Fighter star um, started dissing Zito. He was saying, Chuck Zito doesn't have any heart. There are people here who doesn't. There are people that take that kind of abuse. I'm not one of them. So Vito asked Van Dam to step outside. The way Zito put it in the Daily News, the so-called muscles from Brussels took off his glasses and was gearing up to me. I didn't give him a chance, Zito says. No, he didn't. Zito floored Mr. Hard Target with a one-two sucker punch combo. Oh, wow. Yeah, Rourke played Peacemaker. If I weren't there, Chuck would have killed him. Yada, yada, yada. So there you go. Um, so He got sucker punched. Yeah, I mean, that's what it sounds like. So, I mean, like, I mean, come on. Let's but be- that, did, that did ruin that his yeah. career tanked right after that. Because what ended up happening was like it was on like AOL News or something. Jean-Claude Van Damme like gets beat up. And I'm like, dang. And then they're like, we can't give you movies. You got your ass kicked. Sorry. I had never heard that story before in my whole life. So that's pretty interesting. Isn't it interesting? Yeah. So yeah. Like, I mean, I knew that already. I knew I knew that about Jean-Claude. Like, that's why I knew he his career tanked. I mean, besides double team, this yeah. is the other reason. Like- like, it's double team and this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what happened with Steven Seagal's career because, like, he did what Above the Law, Hard to Kill, Mark for Death, Out for Justice, Under Siege, any three word title yeah, on, on Deadly <laughs> Ground. Like, wow, he did a lot of great films. Above the Law, Hard to Kill, Mark. Above for the Death. Law is a great film, though. Yeah, Above the Law is cool. Uh, is a great one. Um, Hard to Kill was okay too. Like, I remember both of those, but then after that, they start to like get muddled. Yeah, well, under I mean, Under Siege was killer. If you remember that one, that's the one where he plays like the cook, and then he like blows up the thing in the microwave. Yeah, I do remember. Yeah, that. I mean, then he was an executive decision, but he was not the star of that one. He was only no. in that one for a little while. Kurt he, Russell he was the star of that one. Yeah. yeah, Steven Seagal dies very early in that one, and then like you know the Glimmer Man. I don't remember that because he was he was well that was with um, 
that's when the Wayans like well, that's uh, right yeah, exit of living right. color yeah, like, that's yeah, when yeah. living color because when now now this is for you younger Ward Bros listeners when we were young <laughs> we used to watch in living color for our comedy yeah the shit back in the day like, it's weird to see I mean I had no idea he's still I mean he's still making movies to this day he was producing some of these films too so I mean like he must be making some loop but then I heard he got into trouble with the mafia. Or whatever, and then he had. Did he? I didn't. Now there's stuff about Steven Seagal. I don't know. Like, yeah, he, I don't... Had, he he got in trouble with the mafia. He like yeah, so he did that. I guess he he got um, tax evasion stuff too. Yeah, he's yeah, but he didn't go to jail. That's only only Wesley Snipes go to jail for that shit. Wow. <laughs> Wesley Snipes, if, if you tweet that at Wesley Snipes, he will he will he will give you a snarky comeback. So. No, I'm saying that Wesley Snipes got shafted. There's no reason for Wesley. Oh, Snipes. okay. I was like, yeah, because yeah. I was I was. <laughs> I was looking at this thing uh, one day uh, when I fell down the internet rabbit hole at work where if you tweet Wesley Snipes about his tax evasion, he will joke you. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's crazy. And then I was looking at his jokes. And I'm like, Wesley Snipes got jokes. Wesley this Snipes is good. great. I mean, and, and, he <laughs> yeah. is a bad, and he's a bad motherfucker. Like, and, and Blade was dope. Blade like, was, I mean, that was the first great Marvel movie. I don't care what anybody said. Like I loved his character in Demolition Man. I was like, why can't yeah. you? Kill, why can't you kill Stallone? Because he's kind of yeah. boring. Yeah, like I don't yeah. really give a shit I, about Stallone. I like, agree. I Always been on black, son. Always been on black. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So we've gone on long enough. Um, yes. This is our outro. You, yes. You've heard it all. So thanks to Ben Grisanti for being on the show today, and um, thanks to Steven Seagal. <laughs> <laughs> and Jean-Claude Van Damme, who I preferred. I prefer Jean-Claude Van Damme over Steven Seagal. I prefer Chuck Norris over everyone. Um, and Wesley Snipes would kick Chuck Norris's ass. I'm just saying I prefer – well, Chuck Norris is 77 now, man. Yeah, it's but I'm saying Wesley Snipes – but I'm saying even I would say in their heyday. I'm saying, saying that because I hear Chuck Norris will appear, like, if you don't. But yeah, I'm not, see, I'm not in all those Chuck Norris jokes, man. I don't necessarily get them. I'm not – like, I don't think they're the best things in the whole wide world. I'm not, I don't, I don't uh, subscribe to all them Chuck Norris' jokes about how he great. You're not in my world, baby. He ain't a man. No, uh <laughs> Chuck Norris is a cartoon, bro. I mean, I'm just saying, man. I, I, he, ain't my, right. he ain't my dude like that, son. He's a cartoon. No, all right. Well, you guys have a good one. <laughs> and out. I'm Kevin. I'm Bob. I will talk to you guys next thanks, week. Thanks for listening to The Word Bros. You're listening to the Word Bros Podcast, thewordbros.com.